How do you keep up with content when your product and business keep evolving into new markets? That's a great question. Let's ask Jason Miller from Tyke. Hello, listener, and welcome to B2B Q&A, the podcast where we go in search of an answer to your question about B2B content writing. This is episode 112. Change is something of a constant in the world of B2B, but when your organization, its products, and even the entire industry you work in are constantly changing, how do you make sure your content stays up to date and relevant? Well, in a few moments, content marketing guru Jason Miller will answer that very question posed by Kate Terry from Unity. Plus, we'll hear a copywriting pro tip from Etty Bailey-King. But first, we should introduce ourselves. Uh, it's been a long time since I've hosted the Radix podcast, but if you're a long-time listener, you might remember my dulcet tones. Uh, I'm George Reith, Senior Copywriter at Radix Communications, the B2B writing agency. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Diane Wiradu, Founder and Messaging Strategist at Lion Words. Diane, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Excited to help you host. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And Diane, you know, I hope you don't mind. I had a quick look at your LinkedIn and I saw that you've done all sorts of things over the years from messaging strategy to translation and everything in between. You know, how, how do you manage it all? <laughs> There's been a evolution, I think, over the year, many pivots, many sort of changes in positioning. Um, but yeah, my, right now I am exclusively focused on messaging strategy uh, for B2B and uh, B2B tech and SaaS in particular. Um, but yeah, my my kind of journey has been quite a linear one. I think my my background was in uh, translation uh, languages, moved into uh, copywriting, the world of copywriting, and from there kind of into the more strategic side of, well, how do you actually build a kind of a messaging and framework that can inform your your copy and content. It's great to hear actually about your own transformation, considering the theme of today's episode is very much about change. It sounds like you've had a fair few of your own over your career. So I think you're well placed to, to co-host this one. I think so too, yeah. <laughs> cool. So before we get into the meat of it and start answering this episode's question, uh, Diane, would you mind telling the listener how they can get in touch with the show? Sure thing. Listener, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can find Radix on LinkedIn or Twitter. Radix.com. Or if you want us to answer your question on a future episode, record a quick voice note and send it by email. Podcast at radix-communications.com. Thanks very much. Now it's time for our B2B Q&A for this episode. It comes from Unilee's Head of Demand Generation, Kate Terry. How do you keep up with content when your product and business keep evolving into new markets? Thanks for your question, Kate. It's a thought that's probably immensely common across the B2B marketing world. We have new technologies constantly coming into play and threatening to change the game. But it's not just external changes to watch out for. Even changes a company makes to its own products and messaging can risk existing content falling out of vogue very quickly. So how do you keep ahead of change and ensure your marketing content stays relevant? To find out, I spoke with Jason Miller. He's the head of brand and content at Tyke. If you've not come across Tyke before, they offer a full lifecycle API management gateway. So that means the things that businesses use to connect one thing to another. And when you've got lots of connections going on, loads of different components keep changing, they have to keep changing too. So I sat down with him and asked how he's handled industry and technology changes across his illustrious career in B2B marketing. I asked him Kate's question directly. How do you keep up with content and keep it clear, sharp, and consistent when your product and business keep changing? So, you know, it's a great question. I think I would go back to say uh, 
everything changed, but nothing changed, right? So even from my days at uh, uh, Marketo or LinkedIn or Microsoft, the core fundamentals of the content strategy that I believed in, that I believe still works to this day, uh, is still there. So you have your core content, uh, which is answering that uh, that number one question in a customer and prospect's minds. Uh, and, you know, you and, th- and that's based around what sort of conversation you want to own. Uh, so that's sort of the, what we call like the big rock content. Uh, and that is the big rock content. So stake in the ground. What conversation do you want to own? So that's your core. That's always on stuff, right? Then uh, I'd say that's about 75, 80% of your content strategy. Then that 20% is where we put in sort of this intelligent risk uh, content, which is uh, the blog stuff, uh, video stuff, and that's based on not only um, you know extrapolating, uh, slicing and dicing the big rock content, keeping that always on strategy, but it's also carving out some space for experimentation and going after new conversations or, or finding if there's an appetite uh, for a direction that you want to take that conversation. So yeah, when you have that big rock uh, and you have the blog and you have those two pieces moving, I think that's that's core and critical to any piece, uh, any content strategy. And anyone who says anything different, um, you know, you're, you're you're sort of you have to dive into how much can you and, and repurposing and, and this and that and uh, how much value can you extract out of every piece of content. Number one, number two, is that piece of content necessary? Number three, and how do you activate that content effectively outside of just checking boxes and pushing it out and moving on to the next thing? So, uh, I think it doesn't matter if your business is changing or the conversation shifting or if the product's evolving, which it obviously should be. It's a matter of, do you have a uh, core piece of evergreen content that you can evolve with it, that you can put a fresh coat of paint on um, and you treat it like a best-selling book. I mean, you look at something like a classic, like the new rules of, of PR and marketing by the great David Meerman Scott uh, or, or Anne Hanley's Everybody Writes. These are classic books, essential books, and each year they do a new version of it. So why can't you just think of your content like that? So I'd say that that's worked for the past 10 years. It continues to work. Uh, the channels, the activation strategies are going to change. Um, but again, I don't think we need to spend too much time trying to reinvent the wheel. Like uh, uh, Simplify, get back to basics, uh, answer questions, be helpful, um, and, and put in those intelligent risks. I'm just wondering if someone's listening to that and thinking, well, how do I get back to basics? How do I discover, like, what is my big rock for my brand? H- how's the best way to go about that? There's no question about what uh, topics we should be creating for our audiences. All the data is out there from uh, the various numbers of free and paid tools you can find out within a second, right? So that's the data-led approach of what people are searching on. There's also the element of what are they not searching on that uh, that, that value that you provide that you can uh, put an answer to or put something out there or an innovative solution, right? So uh, there's a balance between um, intent search data, right, which is core, which should always be on. You should always be looking at that adjusting accordingly. Obviously, that's going to shift around, um, you know, AI and chat GPT and wherever Google goes with this. But at the end of the day, it's still pulling from the best of the best, the authoritative content. And that's what we should be uh, trying to, to address, the best content we can, uh, written with, uh, you know, opinions and uh, fact-checked and researched and um, providing some sort of direction instead instead of just, uh, you know, answering a question. But 
again, it's as simple as what's the number one question that someone would type into a search engine or type into ChatGPT that you want to be the best answer for, uh, the most creative answer for, the most helpful answer for, and how do you build on that? And the big rock is the core, uh, and every piece of content that comes out of that derivative piece of content, video, uh, podcast, whatever it may be, uh, just links back and supports that so you can own that conversation. There's a wealth of content out there. We know that. It's a content apocalypse or whatever. Um, I think Mark Mark Schaefer, I think, called it content shock. Well, you know, we're probably on the verge of content shock 3.0 or, or the, the with all the AI-generated stuff coming out. The difference here is, you know, everybody wants to be better storytellers. Everybody wants to be more creative. But we discovered very quickly, uh, and I saw this at Microsoft, I saw this at LinkedIn, that it's very difficult to tell a very compelling story that stands out and tie it back to the product. We thought it was super easy. Everybody's a storyteller, yada, yada, yada. Well, it's hard. And it's hard to get people to pay attention, not because of attention spans, but because of all the crap that's out there that's inundating them. Uh, and looking for everyone's looking for a shortcut in, in going viral or a shortcut to get to engagement. Uh, and if you look at it, you take a step back uh, and you look at creativity. And creativity has been associated with arts and uh, design. And, and I think if you take a look at how creativity can be applied to, to B2B, B2C, marketing, whatever... Uh, creativity is about finding unique solutions, unique ways to address very complex problems. And the more constraints you have, the more elegant uh, that solution can be. So I think if you take that storytelling angle and you bring in this new definition of creativity or this this revised definition of creativity uh, and apply that to really good, informative content, uh, add opinions, add personality. That's the piece that we're missing. That's the piece that's going to stand out. So that's the element that I think we're missing. And we, we talk about it so much, but every time a brand gets up to bat and take a big swing, they seem to get cold feet uh, <laughs> and they don't want to take a risk and they play it safe and then it gets lost. And that's what drives me crazy. Um, I'm just wondering if we could talk a little bit about sort of how you guys are navigating that journey and, and putting that unique value into your content to sort of stave off the, the change side that we've been talking about. Out of all the roles I've ever had, I think this is the most uh, challenging, but also the most rewarding. I, I don't want that to sound cheesy, but marketing to this this very technical audience, uh, they don't they don't like to be marketed to. They don't like the fluff and the, and the, the snake oil. They like to solve problems and they like to get to the core and they like the straight talking. So it's almost like everyone should take lessons from marketing to this technical crowd, developers, CIOs, CTOs, architects, mm. uh, because it, it is it is challenging and you have to be real and they can see through all this this fluff and BS. So, uh, you know, Tyke is a is a an open source gateway, full lifecycle API management platform. We do lots of different things, uh, but you're seeing what we're seeing in the market. And it's really interesting, um, and I think it's I call it a once in a marketing lifetime opportunity. You're seeing um, category creation happen uh, right before your eyes. So APIs are becoming much more mainstream. Uh, it used to be very technical, just for developers and, and architects, but now everyone needs to understand uh, the, how basics of of how you can use APIs to grow, monetize. Um, uh, your your products, right? So we're seeing new audiences come into this very technical world, uh, and there's an opportunity to not only uh, educate them uh, and build trust with them, but also to uh, create a new category. It's always about you know educating and building trust, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's why you're seeing sort of branding uh, making a comeback. Now we're figuring out that no one's going to click on anything 
unless they know who you are and they trust you. And I think that's the importance of the brand coming around. Mm-hmm. Brand, storytelling, creativity, content, uh, social, all of this is coming back to be- becoming the most critical piece to moving forward. It's the only thing we have left, I think, in terms of, of marketing effectively and, and, and in an authentic manner. I, I'd, I'd love to hear from you, Jason, some more like small scale stories of like, you know, when you've been working with Tyke or even before when you were with LinkedIn and Microsoft, you know, were there specific situations where a piece of content, something happened that changed it and you thought, okay, we've got to go back and do something else with this. Or maybe the opposite where the other people thought something had changed and you were like, no, 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 this has got to stay the same. Here's the thing. Every piece of content that me or my team has ever created at any org has always been created for a purpose, rooted in data, right? So if we put it out there and it doesn't perform, uh, we don't give up. And I think that's the difference, right? So what we do, we, we either change the title, we change the copy, we change the creative. I think you keep going. If you know it's rooted in data and you know there's an appetite for it, um, I think you need to give it two or three shots. So even at LinkedIn, even at Tyke, we've released the same piece of content two or three times, tweaked it, changed the creative, changed the targeting, uh, changed the approach, changed the uh, the format. Um, so I think I do see a lot of marketers just being forced into launching and moving on. If it fails, it fails. And I, I think anything that you create, anything that you bring your team together to put some you know blood, sweat, and tears into uh, – you need to give it every opportunity. I'd say after the third time, maybe <laughs> maybe you got it wrong after the third time. <laughs> Three strikes and you're out sort of thing, right? <laughs> I guess there's changes that are sort of internal, like say if you guys at Type decide to release a new product set or something like that, you know, that's a change that you guys are starting and, you know, I guess you'd want to create new content around a new product or solution you've released, that type of thing. Then there's obviously change that gets sort of forced upon you by external factors. So like your market changes or like, I don't know, chat GPT, suddenly everybody thinks it's going to change how your industry operates and you're almost reacting to change that's happening externally. Do you think those, do they hit different for you as a content marketer? Is there like a different approach you would take for those different types of changes? I think with, with every time there's a change, it's an opportunity, right? There's an opportunity to to answer the biggest questions, but also be a bit of a, a and I hate to use the word thought leader. Again, I think these are words that are tossed around way too loosely. But you know, you answer the questions uh, and you tie it back to how your 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 platform, your solution can uh, can help solve that answer, ease that pain. But the biggest opportunity is around getting the experts in your company to form an opinion on what this means for that, right? Mm-hmm. So what does ChatGPT mean for developers or mean for the API world? Uh, you know, we have a very outspoken, very opinionated CEO in, in Martin Burr and, and James Hurst, uh, our co-founders. Uh, and so as soon as we see that as a content team, we, we go after the big questions with some you know, some blog content or some video content. But then we go to our leadership. We say, what does this mean? People need to know what this mm-hmm. means. And they're looking for someone to take that, uh, take that conversation uh, and, and, and share hopefully some good news, but also some things to be, uh, you know, m- maybe cautious about. So I don't see that enough. Uh, and I think that's the biggest opportunity. If you could share sort of like one piece of advice for somebody that was in a situation where they were seeing change and were a bit frightened by it as a content marketer, you know, if you could give them one one tip to kind of change their perspective, what, what would you say to them? I mean, the biggest tip for me, when I first saw, um, you know, I guess uh, when I first heard about AI and, and I talk a lot about creativity, AI and creativity, and something I've been talking about quite a bit, was I concerned? Of course. But here's the thing, like, if you have your network of trusted 
um, sort of advisors, right? And I know that my go-tos, right? They're the Doug Kesslers, the, uh, the Jay Acunzos, the Ann Hanleys. If you have that in place, and these are the folks that you trust in your feed and that you go to for these folks, and this is, again, goes back to that opportunity of that opinion. What does this all mean by a trusted leader who's got the expertise? If you have that in place, uh, and you do your own research on the other side, those two coming together mm-hmm. will alleviate any sort of, of uh, uh, anxiety or, or challenge because you have the trusted advisors and you have your own research and you can form your own opinion. Um, what the, 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 the part that frightens me is that people just take these text-based posts on, at face value because they've gotten 600 shares or whatever, uh, and it's, they don't look at where it's coming from and they don't look at the... Uh, the intent on where it's coming from, right? Mm -hmm. So again, and this goes back to every good marketer, every good content marketer, every like even as a photographer, as a creative, where who are your 10 to 12 sources that you have an individual feed, you subscribe to the newsletters, and these are the ones that you trust and you believe in that you've built up over time. uh, And, and, yeah, there's always some new ones coming in, but just see where they're coming from uh, and, and, Make sure that they're coming from a place of good intent and not trying to uh, uh, take advantage of the uh, situation, right? So mm. it, it's it's about uh, again back to it's it's your responsibility to and, and there's no shortage of experts and opinions out there. It's how you curate them uh, and how you uh, build trust or trust those folks to you know keep you in a good place. Thanks, Jason, for your insightful response to a very tricky question. It's interesting to hear that, yes, there are plenty of ways savvy marketers can create content that stands the test of time and resists change. So, Diane, what stood out for you there? Yeah, I think it was a really great answer, actually. There were a few different parts that stood out to me. Um, One, I think the key thing about having, you know, big rock content, right? And also this idea of if you have evergreen content that you can just, you know, slap a a fresh coat of paint on. Um, I think that's a really great, great place to start because um, when it comes to content, there's a lot of talk about uh, creation and not as much talk about um, repurposing, um, reigniting, I guess, redistributing, um, looking at one piece that you have and actually looking for different angles, different points of views, different ways to, to share them and kind of elaborate on those. So I think that that was um, a really great place to start, probably the same place I would have started with my answer as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it tied in something you said at the end that actually really stood out for me, which is uh, the idea of sort of, if you know an idea is good, you kind of need to give it a few tries. You kind of mentioned this idea of like, you might try something two, three times, and you know, you might put it out there and it doesn't get the engagement you expect, but you know the idea is good. So, you know, you tweak the, I don't know, the PPC adverts that link through to whatever piece you've produced, something like that. You tweak a few things, give it another try because you kind of have that confidence in it. And I think that's kind of goes back to what you were saying about, you know, almost you can give something a new lease of life by repackaging it and give it that second chance that it might deserve to kind of actually, you know, break through and, well, go viral, I say, in sort of quotation marks, as, as much as anything in B2B goes viral. <laughs> I'm curious about how you felt about, so I was, when I was interviewing Jason, you know, I almost hoped we were doing uh, good justice to Kate's question, because I think it's such an interesting idea of like all these different forms of change. But I kind of love that Jason almost just took it to a different angle and was like, you know what, 
don't worry about change. What's evergreen is you need to tell a good story. Like, forget about change. Don't worry about that. You've got to focus on making your content just really good to to read. Uh, and so I thought it was quite an interesting way to tackle that. Uh, and this thing about, you know, becoming better storytellers and how hard that is. I mean, well, it resonated with me from a, a writing perspective, but I don't know how you felt about that, Diane. Yeah, I do think that was a really great point as well. And I think that... Um you know, coming from that angle or sort of, it's almost like we kind of disregard, disregard the idea of change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I know that's your question, but let's put it to, to the side for, for a minute. Um, and really thinking about not just the, the quality and actually really great storytelling, but one thing that I think is incredibly important is this idea of having a strong point of view, you know, at the core of you know, thought leadership, which is a phrase and that gets thrown around a lot. And it's like, well, it, the phrase does begin with thought. So you do have to have <laughs> a really strong thought on something and mm. some kind of opinion. Um, and, you know, it doesn't always have to be based around, based around change. I think that a really interesting way of looking at um, how you approach content in times of change is, well, 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 that all of these trends are happening and there's a lot of change happening around you. What are you constant about mm. um so that might also be a different way a way of looking at things and i know it's it, in the work that i do with um with my clients um helping them create a messaging strategy uh, one of the key things that we work on is you know what is your point of view um what is your point of view um about the changing landscape about you know the industry uh in which you operate because mm. there is a huge uh, shift often happening um, and your customers and prospects are often coming to you to help them kind of solve a problem. And so, you know, what is it that you stand for? And I think that's also a really great way of looking at um, looking at building out um, evergreen content and different ways to approach that theme or that topic that you can own. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's really interesting to hear about your experiences from the sort of strategy and messaging side with your own clients and how sort of these same topics apply really, whatever sort of area of the marketing piece you come in from it 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 all has these same sort of foundational requirements to make something that's really good and will stand the test of time um i'm also wondering you know i know this wasn't necessarily directly what kate was getting at with her question but it struck me that you know at one point jason and i wound up talking quite a bit about chat gpt and because you know i I think that generative ai technology that's coming in does pose a really fundamental change maybe one of the biggest changes potentially we've seen for a lot of industries in a long time and again i think that idea that you know a lot of these technologies all they can do is sort of repackage things that's that are already out there that they've been trained on right so the idea that you can counter that by just having your own unique perspective as a human is quite a sort of empowering way i think of looking at a new technology that i imagine that a lot of marketers are sort of finding a bit scary that this stuff can come out and produce stuff that sounds like real copy um i don't know if you've sort of had a play around with any of these technologies diane and have your own perspective on that sort of change coming in i think i'm most interested in using AI from a process um, oriented kind of perspective to bring into kind of just, I guess, bringing operational efficiencies into the way that I work. Mm. Um, Definitely in terms of maybe summarizing, uh, synthesizing data, helping me Mm. find themes, but particularly because a lot of the work that I do is based on um, the company strategy based on, you know, interviewing founders, mm. really kind of human to human understanding your, your perspective and your point of view and brainstorming and workshopping and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not too worried mm. <laughs> about AI from, from that perspective. Um, I do see that it can bring a lot of value in kind of the, the other areas. Jason uh, was talking about, you know, if you're 
got a question, if you've got to answer a question or you're going to type a question into a search engine and then, you know, it's kind of spew an answer. If, if that's the type of content you're producing, then you really need to add another layer uh, on mm. top. And I think, you know, Jason made a really good point as well about how that change with generative AI, but also lots of other changes, they do create that sort of opportunity, like you said, to have a unique thought that positions you as a thought leader and leads into thought leadership content. Um, speaking of which, one final thing Jason said that really jumped out to me that I'd, I'd love to discuss with you is this idea of him saying that, you know, when there's change happening in your industry and it's like kind of scary, you know, what do you do? And he suggested turning to these people that you trust, voices in your industry that, you know, you know will have a good thought about it. I'm just wondering, you know, do you have any particular people that you trust as a sort of trusted voice within within the industry? What kind of things would you recommend for people looking for those trusted sources of information? Yeah, I think this was a really great point. And I think um, I think it really depends on your the industry, the industry in which you're, you're operating um, and whether you're whether you're looking for voices who operate in that industry or who have this sort of same role as you, mm. um, you know, marketers following marketers or CEOs and, and leadership also following other leaders to hear how kind of how they're addressing the challenges in their, in their org um, or whether you're sort of trying to listen to, uh, you know, top voices within tech or, or AI. One thing that I, I think I've fallen into the trap of is um living in a bit of a vacuum, you know, marketers mm. like to talk to other marketers and sometimes you go on LinkedIn and we're just marketing to each other. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to kind of expand my network now and really um, connect with and follow and listen to podcasts that are really out of my kind of realm of expertise. Mm. And I think that we don't talk about that enough. Mm. Um, and so I would kind of, I would perhaps suggest that as, as well. I want to be up to date on what is happening. And so mm. I'm also kind of, uh, uh, connecting with and following people on LinkedIn who are kind of top voices in those arenas. So I would say kind of play around, mm-hmm. um, look through look through your network um, and, and just sort of branch out if you're kind of listening to the same podcast and reading the, the same newsletters. I would say kind of, you know, ask around beyond your industry and also beyond your kind of your, your role in the org. It's interesting what you mentioned about sort of slowly branching out as well, because I think when people think about building a network, they think it's something they can just snap their fingers and have like hundreds of people they'll turn to for trusted information. But, you know, I know speaking to both you and Jason, people who've done all sorts of things in their careers, I imagine it's a slow process. You slowly start to branch out and see who's trustworthy, who has the best thoughts about things, who's covering the latest topics, and you're building that up piece by piece. Listening to or reading uh, thoughts from people who have big followings is great, mm. but bear in mind that often the bigger your following is because you're sometimes putting out a bit more generic content, content that is more palatable to the masses. And so mm. I also think it's worth connecting with and listening to kind of underrepresented voices as well. Mm. So don't always just go out there and say, okay, which are the top 10 uh, marketing leader, thought leaders, mm. which are the top five marketing podcasts. Um, also listen to some of those that are, you know, not being spoken about mm. um, and that aren't at the, at the top of everyone's list because, you know, there are a lot of people doing brilliant things. And I think diversity of voices and diversity of thought is also incredibly important when it comes to content and, you know, improving your, your own thought process. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. That's a really great idea. So Diane, in the interview I had with Jason, he had this really interesting idea, this model of like big rock content that stays the same, little rock content that doesn't. And I'm wondering if you've had any strategies when you've been working with your clients to kind of establish those big rock things that don't change and kind of can still stand up and help you create content, even if things are changing and that content is still relevant. Yeah, definitely. So I think that this links really nicely to 
an element that I work on with my clients when helping them build out a messaging strategy. And that's the concept of having key messaging pillars. Um, And so, you know, if you're creating key messaging pillars at the company level, so these things that you own in your customers' minds, in your prospects' minds, a few topics or themes or ideas that you can completely own and go after um, that you want to be remembered for, then it makes obviously creating content around these things a lot easier. Um, And I think that once you have those as well, it's easier to kind of stay rooted and stay grounded in one thing, even if there are trends consistently changing. So I think that, you know, that we talk a little bit in content about having content pillars and it's the same sort of your messaging and your company strategy. You should also have very clear messaging pillars so that everything that you produce from copy and content is also kind of grounded and revolves around those, those themes. Before we wrap this episode up, it's time for our copywriting pro tip. Copywriting pro tip. Here are my copywriting tips. Short, simple words over long, complex ones. That means switching out anything like a nevertheless and keeping it simple with something like a but. Ask yourself, is this the most straightforward, everyday way I could possibly express this idea? If it's not, trim the fat. Vary your sentence length to add rhythm and interest. Constantly ask, what's in it for me to get in your reader's mindset? Stop weeing all over your content, by which I mean talking about yourself and saying, we do this, we do that, when your reader just does not care. Also, it's, it's very boring. Show, don't tell. It's easy to say things like, we are trustworthy, we are friendly, we are dependable, we are research-driven. No, no, no. It's boring and unconvincing. Just show your reader how friendly you are with your warm, emotive language. Murder your darlings, by which I mean ruthlessly edit. Take out anything that isn't precisely what your readers want to know, precisely what they need to know, in the format and at the time at which they most need it. Copywriting Pro Tip. Thanks, Etty. That is an amazing piece of advice for writing and uh, probably many other professions as well. I know I use this uh, daily in my work. As do I. Well, with that then, we've reached the end of today's episode. So, Diane, thank you so much for co-hosting again. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We should also thank Jason Miller for answering our question, Etty for the pro tip, and of course, Kate Terry for asking the question that prompted today's episode. Thanks to everyone that contributed to today's episode. Remember, listener, next time it could be your question that we answer. If you have a question for B2B Q&A to answer, email a voice memo to podcast at radix-communications.com or find us on social media. We'll be back soon for another B2B Q&A. Until then, take it easy. And remember, change is the only constant, but the need for good storytelling is pretty constant too. Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm not to